Lord Jesus, that's what we do right now. We just want to pause right now and just tell you that we're looking to you. We're opening our hearts. We're opening our lives to the spoken word, to the written word, to the Holy Spirit-empowered word of God that will change us so that we can be true disciples of you, Lord Jesus. And we trust you and we entrust our hearts to you during this time right now. Bless your word, Lord. Give me things to say that I need to hear, but that my brothers and sisters need to hear today. Meet with us in a special way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you take your Bibles with me? Uh, if you have a Bible nearby, grab it and go to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and take it to chapter 39, which is where our study is taking us in the life of Joseph, um, a servant of God from the Old Testament days. And we're going to lean into his life uh, today and continue in our study called the journey, the, the life journey, a legendary tale of not just one person's life in a moment in history, but all of our lives as we work out the work that God is doing here on earth. So let's jump into Genesis chapter 39, into the story about Joseph and his life in verse 1. You ready? Here we go. <clears throat> when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders... He was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. And Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So what we know right now in the story so far that we have learned, and if you're just joining us in this series, um, what you need to understand is that Joseph was raised up in a, in a Hebrew home, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, and now taken down to Egypt to be a slave in a person's house called Potiphar, who's an officer in Pharaoh's court. Now, he's called here the captain of the guard. Some have said that he's actually the chief executioner for Pharaoh. So the guy has a pretty high rank, and Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, the most powerful man on the planet at the time, governing over the most powerful nation on earth. And that's where we find ourselves. That's where Joseph finds himself, is in his home as a slave. I need you to keep that in your mind. As we walk down through this story, remember that Joseph isn't a guest in Potiphar's house. He's not anything special. He is a slave in Potiphar's house. Keep that in mind as we walk down through this story. Now, what we have found so far as we've been walking through this is that Joseph is right now in the middle of what we're calling his own personal wilderness experience. This is where he finds himself, and oftentimes, some of the greatest temptation to sin comes to us in the quiet, uncomfortable, isolated desert of our wilderness experiences, and it comes in all forms and all intensities. That's what we're gonna be working on today because we find that temptation enters into Joseph's wilderness experience. It's happening to us right now, and that's why it's important for us to lean into this subject today and so let's use this definition of temptation 
um, as we got going through here, temptation is the desire to have or do something, especially something wrong or unwise. Now, what's interesting to me is that this is not a Bible dictionary definition of temptation. This comes straight out of Webster. Temptation is the desire to have something or to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. Wikipedia adds this, temptation is the desire to engage in short-term urges, urges that bring us enjoyment that threatens our long-term goals. Now, if you were to put it in Bible context, it's the inclination to sin. It's the temptation to sin and do those things that are against God and his word. I got to tell you that this thing of temptation to do wrong is something that has been plaguing mankind from the very beginning of time. And words that are associated with it are things like this, allurement, enticement, seduction, and lust. And that's what we're going to see in this story today. And that's why I've titled the sermon, Fighting Temptation. Write that down somewhere. If you're not taking notes, we do have notes online for you. But write that down, that we've got, we're in a fight for our lives, especially in our times of wilderness, because temptation is on our way and we need to learn how to fight against us. Most of us, if not all of us, right now are in the middle of our own personal wilderness experiences. And even though we're all in this thing together, it's coming in different ways and with different intensities. We're all experiencing in some way the loud call of the tempter to follow our passions and lust for the things that we desire and those things that will make us quote unquote feel better in this dry desert place of the soul that we're in the middle of right now. And I just want you to hear this, that it is in the quiet of the desert that our inner desires of our hearts, our lust for more, our lust for the things that we can't have, these are the times when they scream out to us and they become this giant billboard calling our names over and over and louder and louder day after day until the call to that temptation becomes deafening and it's all that we can hear. I actually wrote to some people this week, some of my Christian friends, and said, what kind of temptations are you dealing with right now in the middle of this coronavirus crisis that we're in, this shutdown right now? Because I suspect that all of us are experiencing temptations of all different kinds. And one woman wrote to me, and she wrote this. She said, working full time is good for me because it keeps my mind occupied and keeps me focused on others instead of myself but I'm learning in this shutdown that it has become a crutch in my life, keeping me from working on my heart issues. So my prayer is that I will look back on this wilderness and see it as a season of growth for these neglected areas of my life. Some of us right now, I've had multiple conversations and my heart is breaking for you Many of us are de dealing with issues of despair. 
We're actually feeling so much worry and anxiety that it's driving us into depression and isolation in the middle of this shutdown. Some of us are struggling with the feeling of being out of control of our circumstances in our private world, in fact, being out of control of our own freedoms, and it's making us mad. It's, it's, it's driving bitterness deep down into our souls, and, and we don't know what to do, or we don't know what's coming, and we don't know how to even look to the future. And so some of us are tempted in the middle of this to gain control, to like take control of our lives in the middle of this time that seems out of control. We, want, we think we can do it better. We think we can make something happen. And so we're going to drive down deep and we're going to say, I'm going to do something about this right now. And that's, that would be a mistake in a time like this. Some of us are yielding to the temptation of laziness and selfishness. And we've developed a whining and complaining spirit in the middle of this time. Some of us are feeling useless and now that everything has been stripped away, we feel inadequate and we feel unfulfilled. So we enter into self-protection and self-satisfaction and self-indulgences of all kind because we have now gone inward and now we're into a selfish mindset. <laughs> I don't know why I just giggled right then. I Probably because I'm nervous about this. Some of us are, are binging at all levels. We're... Uh, binging in unhealthy eating. We've exhausted our Netflix library. And some of us are diving deep, deep into social media. Some have conveyed to me that this whole social media thing and the binging on that, they've conveyed to me that the more that they are on social media, the more they fall into the temptation to lust after and envy the lifestyles and privileges that they see everybody putting on display out there right now on all different kinds of platforms. They find themselves falling into the comparison game where they're lusting after physical appearances. They're lusting after relationships that seem real on those platforms. They're lusting after perfect marriages that they see there and children and sparkling homes and productivity and wealth. And all of this can lead a person to bitterness of the heart even against others. Some of us are trying to drink or drug or sexually indulge our way through this dark time of our lives. And it's time for us to examine these temptations. It's time for us to begin fighting against the things that are coming against us. Kelly Minter is a Bible study author and um, I've read in her Bible study on Joseph, she wrote this, it seems we are never more susceptible to a major act of sin than when we are suffering and in pain. Oh, how true that is, my friends. Chuck Swindoll writes this. Every person who has cast a shadow across the earth, including Jesus, has faced temptation. And every person who has ever lived except Jesus has yielded to it. And I want to submit to you today that we don't have to yield to temptation. We can fight temptation. We are victorious in Jesus Christ. Those of you who have just gave your heart to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you now, and you have power over sin. Jesus broke the power of sin in your life. It has no more power. You are not a slave to it any longer. 
We only do the things that we do and submit to and yield to temptation because we want to. And so it's very appropriate for us to, to, to learn how to fight against that temptation because, my friends, we are all at a very vulnerable time in the history of our nation. We're all at a very vulnerable time as a global community and especially as the global community of the church of Jesus Christ. And like we will see with Joseph, we are all facing material, personal, and sensual temptations at all varying degrees and at all varying intensities. None of us are escaping that right now. So let's jump into the story and see what we can learn from this very thing that's happening in Joseph's life. And I wanna start with the first thing that we see here in the first part of chapter 39 of Genesis, the favor in Egypt. Look at verse two of chapter 39. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. Just don't forget, I'm going to keep reminding you that Joseph is a servant. He's a slave in this home. He's not a guest in this home. So as he is serving as a slave in this home, look what the Lord is doing in his life. It says the Lord was with Joseph. So, and circle that, so he succeeded in everything that he did as he served as a slave. So what is the secret of his success? Was there something super special about Joseph? Did he have some kind of special skill? The, the answer is absolutely not. In fact, what we have learned about Joseph is he's just a little spoiled brat. Now his mommy and daddy thought he was something special and they favored him and they pampered him and they spoiled him and it all came out very badly for him in his life but he comes out of this very highly dysfunctional family. There's nothing special about Joseph in his life except this. The Lord was with Joseph. Write this down somewhere. Success comes only from the hand of God. I want to remind all of us, those of us who might think we're all that for God, especially those of us who have been following Christ for a long time, I want to take us back to where Paul takes the brothers and sisters back in 1 Corinthians 1.26. Look at it with me. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. In other words, remember who you were and where you were and what you were when the Holy Spirit came and called your name and delivered you out of darkness into his glorious light. Remember who you were because not many of us were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Anybody want to say amen to that and hallelujah and I get that. Yes, I get that. But God chose, look at this now, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not. Why? To nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God chooses the dysfunctional. God chooses the spoiled. God chooses the favored. God chooses the little spoiled rotten brats that are going around tattling on everybody. Those are the kinds of people that God is using just like Joseph so that no one can boast before him. My friends, listen, anyone hearing my voice right now, if you've got any success in your life at all, the message to you and me here is that we are only successful because the hand of God is upon us. Luck, natural ability, and fate 
have nothing to do with your success. This story reminds us that it all comes from the hand of God. God was with Joseph, so everything he did prospered. And look at Potiphar and his response to this in verse 3 of chapter 39. Potiphar noticed this, and he realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Let me pause and just say, Joseph didn't tell him that the Lord was with him. He saw that the Lord was with him. He could tell. And I just want to say to you, no matter who you are, as long as you're faithful to the Lord and you're serving him and giving him everything that you have, others, you don't have to go around telling other people how great you are. You don't have to go around telling other people that you're a great Christian. They'll see by the fruit you will know them, Jesus says. Others will be able to see God through your hard work and faithfulness, just like happened here where Potiphar noticed, I love that. In verse four, it pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant, and he put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. You know, Proverbs 11, 11 says that the whole city will be blessed because of the blessing of the righteous. We have an effect on the, God's blessing all around us because of our righteousness and our righteous living, which is what we see here. All the household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. Verse six, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except the kind of food to eat. How awesome would that be? I don't have to think about a thing. Joseph's in charge of all of this. He's taking care, he's doing such a good job. All I gotta worry about is what am I gonna eat for dinner tonight? That's where Potiphar found himself because God was at work. Now, this is a turning point in the story. And so I want you to write this down somewhere. What I read and came across, what Chuck Swindoll said about this. He said, with great success comes greater measures of trust, which is accompanied by greater vulnerability. Let that sink in for just a minute. With success comes trust, but comes with greater vulnerability. An author named F.B. Meyer, a commentator on the scriptures, he wrote this, we may expect temptation in the days of prosperity and ease rather than those of poverty and toil. Not where men frown, but where they smile sweet, exquisite smiles of flattery. It is there. It is there, my friend, that the temptress lies in wait. Beware. If you go armed anywhere, you must go armed here. The warning is not for the person who is down and out right now, but for the up and coming. It's the message addressed to the successful, to the man or woman who is on the way up the chain. This message is to the person who is experiencing the grace and favor of the Lord. It's to the person who says, I've never been closer to God in all of my life than I am right now. That's the person who needs to beware of the temptation, the tempter that is going to come to try to derail that success. It's to the one who is enjoying increased trust and privacy and authority that needs to beware of the tempter. This pegs Joseph as a prime candidate for the satanic attack of the temptation that we are gonna see next in the palace, which is I'm calling lust in the palace 
because of the irresistible bait in verse 6. Let's go there, okay? Genesis 39, we're going to look at lust in the palace, and we're going to see irresistible bait. Are you ready? Take a deep breath right now. Just take a deep breath, because we're going to go into a hard time right now. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. I don't think I need to explain that any further. Good for him, right? And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me. And what are the next two words? She demanded. But don't forget, like we've said a couple of times already, Joseph's not a guest in their house. Joseph is a slave in the house of Potiphar. And this is Potiphar's wife. So his master's wife is demanding something of him And he's in a very awkward position at this point. All he has to do is say, hey, I have to do what I'm told. I'm a slave, right? Right? Men, right? I have to do what I'm told. Come and sleep with me, she says. And she's demanding it from him. Okay, I'm going to step back for a second and just remind you of this. We have already seen through a dream that God gave to Joseph early on, that God has a great, big, miraculous, God-sized, supernatural plan for Joseph's life, right? Joseph has been chosen, and I can't wait to get to this part in the passage here in this story, but Joseph has been chosen to be the one to bring deliverance to the line of Jesus, the Messiah who is going to save the world. Joseph is the one man to bring that deliverance to the line of the Messiah. Big important job that God has for Joseph. Here's the question, does Satan know that? Does Satan have knowledge of the plans that God has for Joseph's life? Absolutely he does. And he is going to do whatever he can because this is what he has been doing from day one is try to thwart the plans of God. He's gonna do whatever he can to stop Joseph from being the person that God wants him to be. And we're gonna see him, we're gonna see Satan in this story go back to his old tricks that he's used since the beginning of mankind, which is the lure of the flesh. It's as old as Adam and Eve, my friends, and the temptation to lust after the one thing that they were told that they couldn't have. God said to them in the garden, you can have anything you want in the garden. Eat anything, but just don't eat of this tree. And what did Satan do? He came and he, he brought the, the temptation to do the one thing they couldn't have. There's something in our hearts, my friends, that wants what we can't have. And Satan knows it. We're gonna see in just a second that Joseph... Wasn't, he, he was given in, put in charge of everything. Potiphar held nothing back from him except his wife. And so Satan is going to use the same tactic against Joseph in an attempt to try to stop God's plans from developing. Listen to me. Listen to me closely, my friends. God has great, big, miraculous, God-sized, supernatural plans for your life and mine. And don't fool yourself, Satan knows that he has those plans. And these plans God had from the very beginning of time. But Satan is at work right now to try to trip all of us up. 
He's trying to tempt you to disobey God by following your own desires during this time of drought, during this desert wilderness experience. He did it before with Adam and Eve. And because they yielded to the temptation, the whole race of mankind is messed up. We're a hot mess, and we're all headed for a Christless eternity, and we need salvation. Like Joseph at age 17, he is after our children like never before. He's after our young men. And dads and moms, you need to listen very carefully to that message. There was a study that was done not too long ago. It just floored me. My, my friend Steve Etner shared this with me. 89% of kids 16 to 22 today think it's more immoral not to recycle than it is to have premarital sex. That's totally messed up. First Peter 5.8, Peter warns us of this. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around. He is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is after especially our young men today. I was out on a hike with some guys as we prepare for our wilderness trip coming up, and I was out last weekend um, on a hike together, and one of the men, um, Jeff Kaminer, brought his son Luke. Um, I think Luke's about 12 to 13 years old. And we all huddled up to have prayer, and I just felt the need, because of all this that's coming here with this message, I felt the need to draw Luke into our circle. And these godly men are all around Luke, and we began to pray over Luke, and I began to pray for the protection of Luke's heart and protection of his mind. Because Satan is after his mind and after his heart, because if Satan can get our young men when they're young, like Joseph is 17 years old, when they're most vulnerable and most susceptible, especially to sexual sin, then he can derail the plans that God has for them. We need to be praying for our young men especially, but we need to be praying for each other because we're all in this. Just like Joseph. Here's Joseph, a young, unmarried, good-looking, red-blooded American male, and he is faced with a humanly impossible situation where his master's wife is demanding that he sleep with her. The most natural thing in all the world is to yield to that request to yield to that temptation and just use the excuse, I don't, I can't, I have to do what I'm told. That's why I've called it irresistible bait because it takes something supernatural to do what Joseph did next. Look at verse eight. But Joseph refused. I'm going to read that again. But Joseph refused. Okay, now here's what I want to have happen all over. Everybody who's listening, kids, get ready, because your dad and your mom, they're going to shout like at the top of their lungs, okay? We're going to shout this together. When we get to the word refuse, we're all going to shout refuse. Ready? And Joseph refused. Praise God. How many young men today would refuse that kind of request? He said, look, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Here it is, folks. 
How could I do such a wicked thing? He had an understanding of how wicked this was. It would be a great sin against who? Against God. This is what I'm calling unparalleled resistance against this irresistible bait. Oh, that we would have more young men of God who would have this view of God. Oh, that we would have more older men of God who would show the example of this to our younger men of God to resist this kind of temptation in our lives. Men who would have an understanding of just how great a wickedness sexual sin is against God, against the person to which you commit the sin, and against your own body and future ministry and usefulness for God and his kingdom. I want to tell you that this story exists to shut down the lie that men can't resist temptation because Joseph did. The lie that I can't help myself. Yes, you can. You can help yourself. If Joseph can, and Joseph was a nobody, then everybody can, my friends. I think this is written so that we can all see that if Joseph, this spoiled, rotten kid, who comes from a highly dysfunctional sexual family, sexually dysfunctional family, if he can resist this kind of temptation, so can you and I. That ought to bring great comfort and encouragement to your heart today. Verse 10, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. I'm calling this relentless persistence on the part of Potiphar's wife. And my friends, are, are you hearing me today? If you are living in the fairy tale that when you resist the tempter or the temptress, he or she goes away, then you need to wake up because you're living in a dreamland. It's just the opposite. The tempter will actually turn up the heat when you resist and when you refuse. You actually become more of a challenge for Satan. It's like, game on. Hey, demons, we got a live one here. You ever been fishing? There's no fisherman out there that loves to drag a carp up off the bottom. There's no fisherman that is, is, is waiting for the thrill of catching a three-inch minnow, who, which you can't really even tell if he's on the line or not. The greatest thrills come from the greatest fighters, and it's happening that way in the spiritual realm. Evil is out to conquer you and me, and it's not going away, and it's not giving up until it wins, until it has us. The great tempter, the scripture tells us, our great enemy is out to devour us, and the way that he does it, according to James 1, is by enticing you and me with our own lustful desires it's like a magnet. It's like two forces that are being drawn together. Your inner lusts and desires of your heart being drawn to the outer bait of Satan. If you live in the world that we're all living in, there is no escaping the bait. But my friends, there is no sin in the bait. The sin is in the bite. We saw that with Adam and Eve. And the bait was dropped before Joseph day after day after day after day. And Joseph, every single day, kept saying, no, 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 no. And I'm calling this next section that we're jumping into satanic entrapment. Because the more he said no, the stronger the temptation came. And the same thing happens in our lives. Look at verse 11 of chapter 39. 
one day, and I need you to circle that, one day. Your Bible might say, but one day. Just circle that. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. This is the satanic entrapment. And I just need to pause right here and say this is a major rookie mistake of this young man of God. My friends, listen to me. The reason we talk about these kinds of things now is so that you understand when you get into the entrapment of Satan like this, that you have eyes to see the entrapment coming. How many young men get trapped because they're just not wise enough to see that no one else was around in the house? We just read that he tried to avoid her at all costs and at every level because day after day she's tempting him. But this one particular day, no one else was around in the house to do his work. It's the guy that goes into work where there's just him and his secretary that are in the place. That's where the sin comes from. That's where the entrapment comes from. Or the woman who goes in and just her boss is there. Or it's the ride, the, the helpless ride in the car together. Or we went on a trip together. Let me tell you something, my friends. You've got to be smarter than the enemy. And you are because you have the power of the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. To understand that he is at every level trying to entrap you like he is here. So one day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. And she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. And Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hands as he ran from the house. What did he do? How did he respond to this? Say it out loud. He ran from the house. He fled the scene. He got out of there. What do you do in your time of temptation? Let me tell you something. Every New Testament time, when we're being instructed on how to handle temptation, it only gives us one command. And it's not reason with your temptation. It's not throw some verses at your temptation. Every single time it's run, run for your lives. First Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual immorality. Second Timothy 2, 22, flee from your youthful lusts. Run, get out of there. You can't yield when you're running. So run with all that you have. If you try to reason with your lust, you're going to fail and you're going to fall. You can't fight it, so run from it. I mean, the Bible tells us stand against Satan. Stand your ground with Satan. You stand in his face and say, no, you cannot come here. You shall not pass. And the Bible says he'll flee from you, but every single time it talks about your useful lust and your worldly desires, it's run for your life. Man, Phil, you're all cranked up about this. You're exactly right. Because I have been struggling and battling my entire life with the temptation that comes from my own evil desires that Satan puts in front of me all the time. And you know what I'm talking about. And you're in the middle of it right now. Some of you are being tempted like you've never been tempted before. This message is for you. You can run from it. You can get out of it. <sighs> have you ever heard this phrase? No good deed goes unpunished. Well, that's what we see now in this story. Let's bring it to a close here. Verse 13, we're gonna see the mistreatment for righteousness. So many times we try to do the right thing and it seems like we get punished for, for it. And this is what we're gonna see here. And I know this is what, what 
Joseph felt as he faced this false accusation in verse 13. Look at it in Genesis 39. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants and soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. Some commentators believe that she actually did scream. But it wasn't a scream of rape, it was a scream of rage. She was so infuriated with the fact that he would not succumb to her temptation. And when he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home, and then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Falsely accused and now unjust punishment comes to the man of God who is trying to do the right thing. In verse 19, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph, threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. And just that quick, Joseph is back in the pit He's back down in the dark hole. My friends, Satan is relentless in his pursuit to destroy your life and to steal your joy and to steal your effectiveness for the kingdom. What do you think was going through Joseph's mind And there he remained. We don't even know how long he was in the prison here. But here he is. He knows he's going to be exalted. He knows that God's got great big plans for him. He gets sold into slavery. He gets exalted. I'm sure his heart was like, this is it. This is the realization of my dream. This is the realization of God's plan only to be falsely accused and unjustly punished and thrown into prison. And there he remained. My friends, can I tell you something? Joseph doesn't know any more about the future of his story than where he is right now in prison than you and I know about our story tomorrow. All he knows is that he did the right thing. And he's being punished for it, for it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that spot where you're trying to do the right thing, you're working as hard as you can for God, and then the whole world falls apart? Your whole world falls out from underneath you, and there you are, back in the pit, and there you remain. Well, thank God there's a verse 21 in this chapter. Listen to this closely. Circle the word but. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. God didn't forsake him. God was with him and God will be with you. The promise is I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. You do not need to fear. You do not need to be dismayed. You do not need to worry. You do not need to be anxious. You do not need to try to take control of everything. I am in control of your circumstances. You can't see it today, but I am in control and I know what I'm doing. And his love and his grace 
and his faithfulness and his peace was with Joseph as he remained in prison. It's what I call divine comfort that comes to us in our darkest times. And that's where we're going to pick it up next week. Let me close with this. Some of you hearing my voice right now, right in this moment, you're on the fence of decision. You're actually thinking about jumping into bed with sin. You're contemplating giving in. You're ready to yield to the temptress or to the tempter in your life right now. With all I have inside of me, I want to plead with you, stop! Don't go there! You can flee! You can run! You don't have to yield! You don't have to give in! If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have all the power of the Holy Spirit of God to help you right now. Lean into the power. Don't give in to the lust. Whatever the temptation, run from it. Flee from it. Run to your friend's house. Get out of the room. Get out of the situation. Run into the arms of your wife. Run into the arms of your husband. Run to your life group leader for help. Run to your friend. Run to my house. I will help you and snatch you back from the edge of destruction because there is nothing but death and destruction down there for you. Don't jump in. Please, get some help. There is help from God in his word. There is help from God in his family for you. You can, you can be successful against sin. It's the message for all of us. We're not just talking about people that are jumping into sexual sin. It's the message for all of us, isn't it? We're all being tempted. Aren't we all to have this kind of response to the temptation of sin in our lives? Don't all roads of sin lead to death and destruction? The answer is yes. And if we're gonna fight the temptation and fight it victoriously, then we must do what the Bible says. And here's some simple things. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you, James 4, 7. Walk in the spirit, and you won't please and fulfill the flesh, Galatians 5, 16. Hide God's word in your heart. That's called memorization. You gotta be in the word to hide the word. So be in the word and hide God's word in your heart, and it will keep you from sin, sin, Psalm 119, verse 11. And these are the words that Jesus said to his disciples that night in the garden, watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. My friends, listen to me. Romans 8, 37 says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him, Jesus Christ, who loved us and the power of his Holy Spirit. We keep hearing that we will get through this, right? We will get through this and we'll get on the other side of this wilderness experience and I believe that. We also keep hearing things like we won't just survive it. We're going to be victorious and we're going to be better on the other side. I've actually said those words myself. I just want you to know that now is the time to make the move. 
If you want to be victorious, you've got to make the move to fight the temptation that comes with this kind of wilderness experience and this time of wilderness in our lives. Now is the time to clean up our act. The awesome thing about God is that you can come to him. When you have failed, you can come to him. My friends, listen, if you don't know Jesus, you can come to him today for salvation. You can confess your sin before him and receive his gift of salvation. Salvation is for today. You can do that right now. You can pray a prayer of salvation. You can confess your sin to him and confess that he is God and he is Lord and he rose from the dead. And the Bible says you can be saved. You can have that. That's what today is all about. And today is all about confessing your sin before him also. Those of you who know Jesus Christ and you're in the middle of it, you can stop right now and you can confess your sin. From the first time listener online with us today to the chairman of our deacon and elder councils, I plead with you I can't help you change your past, but I can help you with the power and the word of God to help you change the trajectory of your future. That's what today is all about. I pray that you would take God's word and what it is saying to you and that you will use it. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he will be faithful to forgive us our sin. And it says that he who covers his sin will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. Let me pray for you right now. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you, in your divine wisdom and eternal wisdom, wrote down the stories that we read today that will help us change our lives Help us have hope that we can be victorious in this life that we're living, in this fight that we find ourselves in, in these dark times of our wilderness. And I just pray for my brothers and sisters right now that are listening. You know what you need to say to them. You know why you laid this message on my heart today, and you know the work that you're going to do in them. And I pray that you'll give them the courage, the humility, first of all, to admit their issues, their, their sin before you, that they will confess that, that they will forsake that sin, that those who are right on the edge of jumping in will stop, that you will strengthen those that are giving it all they have to fight against the day after day, relentless pursuit of satanic entrapment in their lives, that they will be able to, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, to stand like Joseph. I want to stand like Joseph, Lord. Help me. Help us all, because without your Holy Spirit, we are toast. We are powerless against our own flesh, and we're powerless against the relentless pursuit of Satan to derail us from doing all that you want us to do. Raise us up, Lord, in the power and strength of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen. I'd like to just encourage you um, as we close here and we're done that uh, you go online and, and connect with us with our online connection card. Whatever decisions you made today, share them with us so that we can pray for you. Our elders will meet tomorrow morning 
And we will spend quite a bit of time praying over the needs that you have on your heart. The, if you need strength to help, write that down on a connection card. Get it into us this afternoon so that we can pray with you and for you as we all walk out this thing called being a disciple of Jesus Christ together. Until next time, um, just from Robin and I, we love you. We miss you. Can't wait to see your faces. Give you a big hug and, uh, and meet again together. But until then, keep going hard for the Lord. Give him all that you have. Um, he will strengthen you in his son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you, my friends.